This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon along with you. Eric's got the week off, so joining me for the entire length of the show, Andrew Glukov and Bryson Turner. Gentlemen, good afternoon, evening, or whatever. We're recording it's at this some on time at some point in the we're day. We're recording this on Thursday about eleven o'clock Eastern time. We got lots to talk about here, and uh, and I'm glad you guys are on board with me filling in. Look at how important Lopez is. We need two people to fill in for him. Well, I mean, you know, oh, I'm not going to go there. It was an ego comment. <laughs> we got we got a lot to talk about in this show uh, as well. Spring football, we're going to wrap on that. We'll answer some questions with Kyle Nash, the student of the game, who's uh, in the house as well. We'll talk about some more transfers, what's going to happen uh, on the basketball side of things, um, as well as some preview of some American Athletic Conference championships coming up. Bryson's going to be all over that with golf and tennis. The country club sports, as we like to call them. And uh, we'll also talk softball, number 19 in the country, in their rankings, and seeing, you know, what's the path ahead for them, as well as baseball, who's kind of hit a little bit of a bump, kind of come back to earth a little bit after that hot start conference play. But we start with football, the spring football game, gentlemen, and the student of the game himself joins us right now, Kyle Nash. Kyle, good day to you, I guess. I... Yes. Well, it's still day for now. And and listen, yeah. gentlemen, always a good time all the way around. And Jeff, listen, please try and tell your body to break down a little bit slower. We got a lot going on. We got a lot we need to talk about with you, buddy. I'm not playing. That's the good thing. But we got some guys <laughs> who are, listen, it was a good time at the spring game, right? We had QR codes. Well, it was a good time for most of us. Um, <laughs> it was... Uh, but uh, all right, so the, officially the gold team defeated the black team thirty-eight to fourteen. That's nobody cares about that. What, what, what really, what really everybody cares about is the uh, for the first question: Kyle Nash quarterback situation. Um, John Rice Plumley, Mikey Keene both saw significant action. John Rice looked really good, threw for a hundred and I believe it was unofficially one hundred and eighty yards, I believe, um, and four Something touchdowns. Like that, yeah. Uh, Mikey Keene, I thought, looked really sharp. Actually threw for more yards, almost threw for 300 yards um, in the game. Did have the one interception down by the goal line that was kind of catastrophic to watch. But um, the end result here is uh, is what in terms of the quarterback situation, Kyle? What's your evaluation? Yeah, for a little clarification, like when it came to the black and gold stuff, the quarterbacks would often switch sides. It was the rest of the skill positions that stayed put. So basically it made the score kind of like an episode of whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter where I'm getting to with the quarterbacks though. First of all, for those who are hoping for Castellanos to step up and do the thing as a freshman, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to say that he's bad at all. Actually an excellent athlete needs a bit more comfort and poise, which we saw from both Mikey King and John Rice Plumley. Now you have heard me on this show being critically, incredibly critical based on what I've seen so far on film from Plumlee and his uh, passing abilities. He's not going to change anybody's life, but he's a lot better than I thought. Definitely had the best pass on the day. A 33-yarder down the sideline to Jalen Griffin. Definitely quite the dime. Um, Not here to say that Mikey Keene looked absolutely horrible, but he did force that throw in the end zone. 
And to explain that kind of situation there on the interception, they had tried the play previously. It didn't work. And then they tried it again. But but as it would <laughs> turn out, Mr. Fanqua wasn't having any of it. And his coach, uh, Malzahn, said himself, if he had the opportunity to take it, or he would have had the opportunity to take it to the house had he not had a bit of a uh, strained hamstring going into the spring game. But what I can tell you, the automatic takeaway is this. Joey Gatewood is no longer a thing on this team, but we will still have a system quarterback or two system, uh, two quarterback system coming in where the tempo is changed up a bit by the entrance of one John Rice Plumley at the very least. Yeah, I got. I finally did the math on Keen. Twenty-one to twenty-eight for two eighty-two, three touchdowns. Uh, Plumley right. about was, ten more passes. Yeah, Plumley was. Uh, let's see, eleven of fifteen for one eighty-nine and four touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I can't complain one bit. I think with these guys, I think the other thing was we saw from the. Uh, now let's look at the rushing attack too. Johnny Richardson. Had himself 108 yards on nine carries. Had a long of 53. Uh, we saw a little bit of everything here, right? We saw some Ryan O'Keefe. We saw uh, we saw some. What I thought was fun was we saw some of the guys on the outside get some work. Um, you know, Mark Anthony Richards, of course, was good. We saw Anthony Williams get some carries late, but you know, we saw a little bit of Jordan McDonald who looked really good. Uh, you know, yeah. he's he's a boy. That that kid is big. Um, you know, we saw Deontay Marks get into some work. You know, we t- obviously we talked about O'Keefe. This is this what we saw, I believe, Kyle, is going to be a lot more reminiscent of the offense that Gus has always planned on having here, which is a lot lot more of a multiple of which I've described it before, Kyle, as a sort of of more frosty offense, if you will, because it's like the Golden State Warriors. It's like positionless basketball, right? There's no centers, forwards or guards. It's just everybody just gets the ball. And in this case, it's not, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're a wide receiver or a running back. You're just a guy who gets the ball, and we're going to figure out how to get you the ball in the places where you can succeed the most. Is that right? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I appreciate your frost metaphor there, too. But listen, as the running backs go, this is something I wanted to add in as well. You made a, you mentioned that uh, Plumlee threw a good, what, 13 fewer passes. That's because the offense looked a lot more electric going into the game. What with um um rob or excuse me richardson i was gonna say robertson richardson running the way that he did johnny went precisely nuts in the game that 50 yarder was just one of several big runs that he had and i think there were either four or five running backs um that had a carry of 10 yards or more that running back room is absolutely talented any way shape form or fashion yeah like we we uh, we have we it has been mentioned. I'll say I, I can't say we because I didn't do it on this show. But I mentioned with the 2017 2018 rooms that those were very deep as well. And we, we could go down the list talking about the people who ended up on NFL rosters and all that. Um, you know, anywhere from um, the late and great Otis Anderson to um, to um, uh, I'm drawing a blank. A.K. Adrian Killens. There we Adrian go. Killen, yeah. um, and those guys, you know, doing things. Taj McGowan himself even seeing time at Jacksonville Jaguars camp. But this group, we already know that Bowser's going to be an NFL prospect. Um, and we haven't even really seen R.J. Harvey in a live right. scenario yet. We, Keep that in mind as we well. Saw neither, we saw neither of those guys. We saw neither of those guys right. on, on Sunday, Bowser or R.J. Harvey. And they are expected to um, contribute. That's a good point about how 
really stacked that running back room is. I want to bring Stat Boy Drew in here, um, Andrew Glukoff, to talk about, you know, what he, you know, your evaluation, Drew, and, and I don't know, you look like you have a question. Well, actually, I, I, before before we get to evaluation, I want to flip the script a bit on Kyle. And, you know, we talk about the, this great Surprise, surprise. Well, no, let's talk about the <laughs> other side, the defense. Uh, yeah, I haven't uh, even gotten there yet. <laughs> let, let's talk about let's talk about that for a second because, you know, obviously – you talk about running backs who are getting 10 yards or more, you know, that that's obviously that aside from the fact that's a testament to their talent, that usually mm-hmm. means something's going wrong on the other side of the ball. And, you know, four touchdown passes by, by Plumlee, nearly 300 yards by, by Mikey Keene in the air, a lot of stuff given up by the defense. Uh, so sure. I, I, I know defensive line and linebacker had a lot of question marks going in. Uh, I, I want your take on, on those two position groups and what you saw. Well, first of all, let's not go, let's not go out of our way to be super critical of the defensive front. The two, the two sides combined had 12 sacks, including three by Landon Woodson. I mean, that, that's certainly something you have to bring up when you're evaluating the defense to me. Now, to be fair, those why... sacks were just, Oh, I got to you. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. And exactly, one hand touch football live. in a way. <laughs> But it, it, for my money, for my money too, like they may not have been air quote sacks, but they would have been um, broken plays. By the way, a lot of them went down. There's only really one where I felt like there would have been an escape, but here nor there. And yeah, but it's a worthy point to bring up, uh, Jeff, that it was it, the cute quarterbacks were not live, um, and that's a good thing too because 12 hits on your two starting quarterbacks, dang. Uh, anyways. Um, the, the, it's a very it's a very tough evaluation of a defense in a game like this because a lot of yards, I would say, definitely over a hundred receiving, are all from broken uh, broken and, and and missed assignments and coverage. Okay, this is the kind of thing you're not going to get, or at least fans are hoping you don't get, come late August, early September from any team, right? Um, I think there are left definitely a lot of gaps and a lot of things still getting worked out. That being said. Um, I felt like there was a uh, when there were when there were opportunities in space where tackles had to be made or big plays would be allowed. A lot of that happened too. You know, the fans are coming out. Oh, their tackling was terrible. Well, no. If you're out of position in the first place, you didn't really miss a tackle. You were just not in the right place. It's something that has a whole summer to get corrected. That's the reason why there were um, uh, at least two screen passes that turned into touchdowns. Two of them by way of Amari Johnson in particular, who will be getting a lot more play based on recent events when we bring that conversation up. But I'm not freaking out too much about the tackling when the rule game itself were anti-tackling. Correct. And and the biggest thing that I'm concerned about with fronts is not so much the defensive front. They did things that I kind of expect to see in the spring game. What I am concerned about is the offensive line. There were four or five at least busted things that came right through the a gap right between the guard and the center that have to be disconcerting and we had actually talked about it on last last week's pod with elo about the fact that Plumley's stock in the battle for the starting position is going to go up basically already on his capability being better than mikey Keene. that's still a factor here and it was on display but there is a very interesting analyst who commented how much Mikey Keene has improved in his mobility over the over the camp? That analyst won John Rice Plumley. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so, so real quick, Kyle, but before we before we we move on, you know, you kind of touched the offensive line. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, you and I both know from our prior experiences, the technique is very different between pass and, and run blocking. Uh, which did you see them not make as many mistakes and breakdowns? Was it on the pass blocking side or the run blocking side? Oh, it was definitely run blocking side. You could, or excuse me, pass blocking side. You could tell that they had not figured out how to handle uh, certain stunts or blitzes in the situation. I mentioned, you know, the A gap. One of them was just a linebacker walking right in to, you know, the guard had a, the guard committed somewhere that he wasn't supposed to. And then Matt Lee continued to do his job as he does, taking care of the man head up in front of him and then just walks right in to the, to the now newly spread gap. But then again, I don't think there was a running back in that particular formation either. Normally in that situation, it would be a call where the running back would pick that up. Um, but, you know, I feel like there, it's a situation where the line didn't really get the call on their uh, area correct. I feel like the guard bounced out when he should have stayed inside to watch for the blitz, let the tackle pick up that man. But, um, yeah, it was definitely the pass blocking. I felt like they were the most out of sync. But, hey, it led to some great escapes by Plumley, And um, it definitely – we definitely saw Mikey King move a little bit more than usual. It, I liken it to when you started to see Dylan Gabriel move a bit more in 2019. That's kind of what you saw here is Mikey Keene moving a little bit more in this spring game. Um, now that there's a level of comfort and certainly a far deeper quarterback room now that we had been, <laughs> that we had a bet that we were observing that time last year. I thought Mikey looked really confident. I, I much more confident even than, than last yeah. year. So, and he so was I, asked I, to do more. Right. And, and I, and, and you know what, this is, this is, this is the whole thing for, for Gus is like, like I was talking about last week, he's got options. You know, mm. if the offensive line, you know, kind of struggles, you know, John Rice Plumley can make up for that with his speed and his elusiveness. On the other hand, you know, if for some reason John Rice doesn't work out, we're pretty good with Mikey Keene, I think. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, freaking out so much about that. Now, I want to talk about um, real quick some news dropped. Um, immediately after the spring game, three guys announced that they are transferring. Uh, the mo- uh, Parker Navarro, fourth string quarterback, kind of the odd man out at this point. Uh, Cole Joyce, who is a defensive, uh, who is a linebacker, a backup linebacker. But the uh, the big one was Jalen Robinson, uh, who, believe it or not, has actually been at UCF. I didn't realize this. Has been at UCF since 2018. Actually got here. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Heupel's first year, redshirted a year. Uh, he's got his degree, so he's so he's graduating. He's a graduate transfer. Um, had a 44-yard touchdown catch in the spring game. Uh, obviously, you know, last year got hurt. Was one of the guy was one of the casualties of the Louisville game. Um, a lot of fear out there, uh, you know, fear and loathing out there about uh, you know losing a guy as talented as Jalen. But you know, my evaluation of it is, I mean, obviously, you hate to see a guy that talented go, but. This team's pretty good at wide receiver. We saw plenty from Kobe Hudson. Ryan O'Keefe speaks for himself. Um, I thought Amari Johnson, Kyle, had a fantastic spring. And the spring game, I think, showed that. Uh, Jalen Griffin, you got guys, you got, you know, Deontay Marks out there still. Um, Your tight end situation is going to be a little bit better with Kimora Gamble, um, you know, joining the fray. Jordan Johnson looked good. Um, And we got to be, you know, and and let's not forget, I think I mentioned over Kobe Hudson, man, that guy's a baller. And, uh, I, you know, I can really see him kind of taking over the Brandon Johnson role and and 
and causing and causing defensive ba- defensive secondaries a lot of trouble, Kyle. Um, yeah, no, I think that's fair too. Um, I, I I'll, I'll go this way. First of all, I think you made the point in the chat when we were talking about it amongst ourselves last night that they had been bracing for Jay Flash to walk basically with uh, Dylan Gabriel this past off season, and that didn't happen. But there's a reason why Kobe Hudson was recruited, and he was the other receiver that broke 100 yards in the spring game, right? Yeah. So I, I think there'll be an opportunity for him to fit in. Ryan O'Keefe, I, I think he's definitely more of a utility guy, um, you know, more of a Debo Samuel type, uh, if you're looking for an NFL comparison to that. Um, I feel like Kobe Hudson, we have the opportunity to observe a one-two punch there. I'm not going to say they're going to be as good as, let's say, let's say um, um, Traquan Smith and uh, and uh, Gabe Davis, but something of that ilk is the one-two punch I think you're going to get there. And, you know, I'll put it this way. Anybody worth their salt going to go in this game scouting against UCF uh, and early in their schedule trying to shut down O'Keefe, and Hudson's going to make them pay for it. That's the hope. Amari Johnson, I think, isn't a bad receiver. He's going to do his job well as a possession guy. I think the spring game's a bit of an anomaly because of all the yardage he got on screens. I don't think I don't foresee them running that many screens, frankly. Um, but I think you, the guy you really need to look for to fill the gap is another Jalen, Jalen Griffin. That yeah. could him and Hudson, I think, will be asked to carry the load that one in uh, J uh, J Flash would have done. And listen, we've heard Gus Malzahn say it constantly through the season when I uh, when I was talking to him at press conferences. The big play. We score. We get big plays. We score touchdowns. That's his tagline. Not much of a tagline as other coaches would say. We got to go one and zero, but details. What I'm trying to say is this: anybody who can get a big play is who Coach Malzahn's looking for. Would he have rather had Jay Flash? Of course. He's got big play written all over him. He had two of them in the spring game, though one of them was a broken coverage. Fine. But I really feel like these other guys have that same speed and opportunity where in the right place they can make a big play. Hudson can make that big play. We've seen O'Keefe make that big play in different parts of the field. Yeah. Um, you know, let's put it this way. You had to you had to take your Ferrari back to the shop so you had enough money to fix the car you drive to work every day in your truck, right? One one little wild card too. Stephen Martin caught a three yard touchdown pass um, in the first half of the spring game. Mm-hmm. Six foot five. I love that. I love having a big target like that in the red zone, and I think he showed it on that one. Go ahead, Bryson. And, and he is thick too, by the way. The, the the six foot five to me was the least impressive. I forget his weight, but I believe he's at least two hundred fifty pounds. Like he's yeah, big. he's he's. Uh, hang on, I or two hundred thirty. Sorry. Yeah, he's yeah he's two thirty, two thirty. Yeah, big enough. Solid. Yeah. Go ahead, Bryson. So yeah, uh, Kyle, you talked about how Jalen is re- was really good with um with, um with was really good with route running and stuff. He is built for the Josh Heupel air raid style offense that we saw. You, oh, you said that Jalen would leave when you no know, DG left. And, and so when he ended up not doing that, I mean, he might stuck or stick around, but now that Gus is here, his offense is very implemented. We've seen last season that Ryan O'Keefe is the type of receiver that Gus really likes. He likes to have, uh, like the athleticism and speed of Robinson, but O'Keefe has that uh, playmaking ability 
that Robinson, I just don't think suits Robinson's style, I guess, I guess you can say. I think that that now that he gave that a style a shot, now he's going to have to go and find something that suits his offense more. I honestly would not be shocked if he ends up at Tennessee because of the whole Josh Heupel air raid thing, but we'll see where we'll see where that ends up. I'm also kind of a little bit concerned about Cole Joyce's transfer because the linebacking position is still a little on the thin side and while Cole right. may not start, I mean, you'd like to have some depth there. Am I right? So, so let me start with the defense first, because that's the easier question to answer. Yeah, no, obviously, as thin as they are, they, they, they need as many bodies as they can get. Um, you know, Cole Joyce leaving, it's, it's a blow, but, like, not anything worse than they've already had to try to deal with. So, you know, they already have next man up mentality, all that going. Um, with with uh, um, Morris Brash still in play, like, that's, that's, that's the top guy. He's still the top guy. None of that is a surprise. And with the work they got in the spring game, like Morris Brash didn't play. So the core had an opportunity to show out how they practice, you know, how they, the practices have gone during the spring and how they developed thus far. If losing somebody now is bad, but again, they still have the summer to really make a decision on where to fill that gap. And the concentration, as Coach Malzahn would say, is, is on rushing the passer first. So basically they're relying on the D-line to kind of uh, help them out uh, where available as well. And their defensive tackles are great, which is helpful for any linebacking core. Now, as for your receiver now, uh, uh, analysis, here's the thing. I don't think to, to call Jay Flash not, quote, a Malzahn guy is, is, is miscalculated, in my opinion, because when, has he really, when did he really get quality time to do anything? His best performance was in the first game of the year against Boise State, where he still had the quarterback with whom he was very familiar and came up with. Then he got nicked up. Then DG got nicked up. Jay Flash never really had an opportunity to develop that chemistry with Mikey Keene, where in the meantime, O'Keefe did. So I'll put it this way. Malzahn said many times it's the big play that we, we get big plays, we get touchdowns. And if you got a guy that's going to record a big play, he's always going to be a Malzahn guy. I hear what you're saying about um, him looking for guys that want to do, have a more varied skill set, want to, you know, he wants more guys that are capable of doing gadget things. And there's something to that, but no one's going to refuse a guy that could take the top off of the defense, especially when you have a stout running game and play action would be absolute murder if Jay, if Jalen Robinson were running. Yeah, yeah Ahead, I, I can see that. Oh. I can see that. Um, I, I remember back when Mikey Keene, we first saw him, I remember that I believe he had developed a pretty solid connection with Deontay Marks. And when yeah. he got hurt, I was like, I, I, rem I, I remember saying, I think back on a night shift where I was really impressed with their chemistry and I hope Mark works out okay because that connection could very well serve him well should Keen uh, become be the starter going for go, going forward and like you know you talked about with the quarterback situation before I I think we also even said that Keen having an offseason as the starter as the the starter or at least competing for the job would do him a lot of good and it seems like it's done that but I think that um, another thing that kind of a takeaway here is that Plumley I think has definitely made his made his case for the for the starting job like before the spring game I thought the best case scenario was that he would be the new Joey Gatewood but 
after the spring game, I'm feeling like that there is a legit shot that he could be the starter. I think we could be in for a pretty even quarterback competition between Plumlee and Keene. Yeah, and that's fair, but the spring game was hardly evidence of it, right? There was a lot more explosive offense supporting Plumlee, where Keene did a lot more of the heavy lifting, and he was asked to do more throughout that game. And then this is not me negatively uh, um, commenting on Plumlee. The parts he did, he did well. But I don't expect, or maybe we should expect from the Malzahn offense with this deeper running back core. I don't know. But today, I don't respect, I don't expect a 15, uh, a 15 attempt passing game. Like they're going to throw the ball more than that. They'll have to throw the ball more than that to get any real success, especially with the defense uh, being expected to struggle up front like we we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, I mean, based on what I was seeing, I mean, you know, the que- I, were, I was getting questions about like, hey, have we solved the the quarterback problem? And, I, and and my thought on it was actually no, not because both those guys are not good enough, because they're both really good. You know, right. I, I think we're going to have a really good competition in the summer. And I and thinking back to what I think, I forget Kyle or you, Drew, may have said, this may go into a situation kind of like what we had in Dylan Gabriel's, Gabriel's freshman year with um, Brandon Wimbush. Yeah, where, I was talking about that. You right. know, where where you where you settle on a guy in the first game, and but it's kind of soft. You know what I mean? So I, I, you know, I, I mean, I that's a good spot to be in. I think if you're Gus, because then you can evaluate yeah. what you really have against you know against live competition. Yeah, no, and that's 100 percent correct. You mentioned the concept of 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 being positionless. What I think is they're going to adopt something similar to that if things continue to progress as it looks they will. Right. We're talking mm-hmm. about the, the opponent may dictate which quarterback starts. But I do think you will have a two-quarterback system. I do think that you have a faster, more capable passer than Joey Gatewood in Plumley at the very least. And, hey, if Keen does go down, God forbid, you know, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of a drop-off there. Yeah. Go ahead, Drew. You had a, a question you wanted? Well, it was more of a – it was a statement more than a question you uh, <clears throat> You're talking about the style of offense and, and right. the personnel. Well, you know, Gus's style is going to have a lot more shorter, short passes and stuff. And we saw that last year, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, smaller routes than the stuff that we used to see with Josh Heifel, which was either, you know, all or nothing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about Jalen Robinson. Jalen Robinson was designed for an offense that goes downfield almost every play. You know, that's what he was designed for. I, I watched him the spring game of 2021. And he was terrible. He was, he, he, he could, he, he struggled badly um, with a, a short game that focused more on agility than raw speed. And, and, and Brian O'Keefe had a breakout game. He, he absolutely thrived. And, and we saw as the season went on, he really was made for this system. You know, Jalen Robinson wasn't made for this. System. I think both in some cases, in uh, Kyle and Bryson are both correct in, in this because there is a system that Gus uses and, and, and Jalen is more designed for a different system. However, a good coach also adapts the system to the personnel he has. He had a guy that's really good downfield. Now, if you have a quarterback that can throw downfield, you take advantage of it. So I, I don't think there's a wrong answer on that one from, from either one of you. It, it's more of kind of a baseline, you know, Gus likes to do this. He wants a versatile guy who can do misdirection and, and whatnot, but it's it's not going to be very deep. And, and I think that's where where, where Jalen Robinson just just didn't quite 
fit in, just, just didn't quite settle in. And I think he, he gave it a shot. You know, he had his rough go in the spring game last year. He got hurt during the year. Okay, let's give this spring game a fresh go. Let, let's just, let's try it out. Let's see how this all works out. And you know what? He's graduating in his mind. You know what? It's it's not me. I'm guessing he's going to go somewhere that that will fit what he wants. Um, Tennessee is a very good op- uh, would be a, a very good opportunity. Fit, you know, go back to uh, Josh Heupel. Uh, Malik Hooker could throw that ball deep, and that's exactly what what a guy like uh, Jay Flash would want. Uh, yeah, yeah, but and here's the only thing I'll add to it, Drew. I, I'm not saying you were Bryson are wrong about O'Keefe being better suited to Gus Heck. I said the same thing. Where I think we, where we, where we, from where we sit, can't really make the evaluation is we did not get a chance to observe quality reps from Jay Flash to see how much he got into the offense or not. Frankly, he may not have had the opportunity to produce those. Again, he had a decent outing against Boise State. So that proves he got, at least got over whatever jitters he had in the spring game. Um, yeah, he doesn't, you know, Gus Malzahn does not sling the ball uh, every down like Heupel did last year, or excuse me, before he arrived. Um, we could talk about why that was happening. That's a whole other podcast, article, whatever it is. But the long of the short is you're not going to sell me that a big cannon-type uh, attack when you have this, uh, 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 the running backs to draw the defensive secondary forward isn't something that would be useful. And I don't, like I said, I don't feel like Jay Flash was given the opportunity to learn uh, how to be that type of receiver that came naturally to OK. Right? I just, between the injuries, between the lack of uh, chemistry with uh, Mikey Keene and all of the above, we didn't get a chance to see it if he did improve. And because he was hurt, he may not have that opportunity to have learned it all. Well, you also need a quarterback that will heave it downfield and, and, and heave it accurately. That's where Dylan Gabriel was outstanding was he had amazing deep ball accuracy. And that's what Jay Flash fed on and thrived on. When, okay. when, when Gabriel went out, you know, you saw a difference in his production when he came back. He was, you know, part of it, maybe it was, you know, you just never quite got his legs underneath him because, you know, you're, you're out for half a year plus, and then you come back and you're just not quite there. Uh, but he never got, quite got it back. Uh, he never matched any of the, the, the production that he had when Gabriel was quarterback. And, and part of that is because of that, that deep play, you know, that deep play opportunity, you know, you look at, you know, the, the first game he played uh, against Boise State, he had a 47 yard, yard yard catch. You know, you look at the second game, which he, he didn't play, have to play all that much because it was such a blowout. You know, you, you 25 was his long. And then you go to the next game when, before he got hurt, 15 was the long and O'Keefe had the longest one at 41. So, I mean, it's, it, a lot of it is, is based on design. You know, he's not designing to, to go downfield. I think that was one reason why Gabriel wanted out too. This isn't his kind of offense either. He's a gunslinger. You know, he wants a guy, you know, he wants to work for a guy that's going to let him air it out. And, and I think that, you know, I think it's going to fit Jalen Robinson best. I, well, I'm not going to go down that road. I have my own set of feelings on why Gabriel transferred and whether it was a good idea or not. But I, I, think, we're show, I think we're shorting Jay Flash by assuming he's just a long ball guy. We haven't really seen evidence um, to conclude that definitively. It's possible, but uh, like I said, we did not see enough quality reps, reps from him, you know. Well, I mean, Kyle, we, we've seen him for, for years. I mean, his best thing was always the deep ball. I mean, and he was outstanding at, at catching the deep ball, great at, at adjusting routes and, and position. I mean, 
That was his bread and butter, you know. And, Drew and I, asked and answered, man. I, I, we, we accounted for that. No one's saying that's not his best skill set. What I'm saying is we never had an opportunity to see if he could be evolved beyond that. That's the state. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah. I, I just want to say that is not the primary reason why I think Gabriel left. I think that's the reason why he ended up with at Oklahoma. But I just want to kind of preface. Oh that. yeah, 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 yeah. No. Oh sure. He wanted something with high power, no doubt. Fair point. Fair point. All right. Spin this forward. We got to let you go here, uh, Kyle, real quick. But um, I'll leave. You, uh, I'll let you have the last word on this. What do you want to see in the intervening time between now and opening day to be really confident on where this team is? I mean, the the the, the veteran presence of Cole Schneider at the guard position was very obviously missing from what I saw in the spring game, and um, those guys need to get a better grasp of protections. Or at least maybe they just had a bad outing that day. That uh, that's current, cert- certainly super possible, um, you know. But again, they have the whole summer. I'm not panicking. But what I would love to see is, you know, the A gap to be as secure as as one, a football team needs it to be. Um, beyond that, you know, I, I felt pretty good about what uh, you know what what the group has as an outing, and I think there's only really one team in the American that superiorly worries me today on the schedule that would be SMU hmm. interesting not Cincinnati not Cincinnati not without their quarterback all right and their defensive stars that have been uh on to the NFL here true all right uh all right so that'll do it for us on that spring game there and Bryson you mentioned July 1st is that transfer deadline too right so yeah we still got a lot of time between now and then to figure out what spots on the roster need to get filled and like we've always talked about right guys the portal taketh away but the portal but the portal giveth as well <laughs> and um, we jeff. have jeff locked in this really goofy look on his face <laughs> that's awesome but yes the was portal that? giveth the portal taketh away i love i love i love i love the bible and scripture quotation from psalm of the portal 4517 anyway <laughs> so. All right. the path of the righteous player is beset no um <laughs> So, no, listen, guys, um, honor, joy, and privilege all the way around. Um, I would love to go ahead and dunk on Drew some more. Kidding. Um, but no, we know that's truth. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, responsibility calls. Gentlemen, an honor, joy, and privilege. Until next time, class dismissed. The SOTG on Twitter, Kyle Nash, joining us here on the Black and Gold Podcast. All right, we're going to we return. Drew and Bryce and I talk about some American Athletics Championships coming up, uh, including for golf. and uh, t- Well, we had one for golf that's in the books. we got tennis and men's golf coming up as well. Plus, we'll talk a little baseball and softball as well. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banner Red Podcast is back after this. All right. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here with you along with Bryson Turner and Andrew Glukov. And we're going to review and preview some American athletic conference uh, tournament action happening in what we call the country club sports, golf and tennis. We'll start with women's golf uh, and uh, Bryson. It was not quite the finish that UCF women's golf wanted in the American championships up at Pine Pinehurst number two. They played it at number six um, or number six. Okay. Uh, UCF finished in third uh, in the uh, American championship at plus 35 just shy of the championship by a few strokes. Pat Pitten finished second. She was the uh, overall at plus four for the tournament. And now the Knights await 
um, their fate for the NCAA uh, tournament. It's likely that they'll get in uh, as an at-large. They're not in the top 25. I'm actually looking here at uh, at the um, golf stat rankings. Oh, they're down in you. Okay, 29th. So it's expected that they'll get a trip to the regionals here. Um, but, you know, a, kind of a bummer. They, they were really hoping that they would get in there, but uh, that they would get the chance. They were right there in the final uh, in the final grouping, but just couldn't pull it off. Yeah, you are, you are right about that. And that kind of came down to the win. The win at Pinehurst number six was didn't exactly work in their favor, being the last group out. The winner of the tournament, which ended up being Tulane, went out earlier than Houston, both Houston and UCF did. And the difference is huge. Tulane, as a team, had a final round of just seven over, while Houston was 22 over and UCF was 18 over. Yeah, so, so the win did play Tulane, a factor later in the day. You're right. Yes. So Tulane's final round absolutely gave them that title, and that's all the all the credit in the world to to Tulane to right there. That was a good job. And the win the win just ended up not really working out for the for the Knights and and the Cougars. And it is what it is. It also didn't exactly help the case for Tenrata Pitten because guess who won the individual championship? SMU's Kennedy Pedigo, who went out earlier. So um, Pitten, Pitten actually had the lead. Like she came into the final round three uh, ahead by three strokes, but she ended up having a seven over final round and she, and she ended up losing by a stroke after she bogeyed the last hole, which um, I have to imagine is a blow for her. I mean, the uh, Pinehurst is obviously a tough course. Like I remember the, uh, tele, the telecast kept saying, how like the winner last year was like one under par. So mm-hmm. this was a this is a very tough course to play. And with the wind being what it was, um, you know, it it, it 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 is what it is. So the good news is is that UCF and Pitten both contended for the title till the very end. It really just came down to how tough the course was and the conditions they had to play to, to play in. And if, if that's really what ended up being chalked up to, I still think that they did a solid job because they still were within striking distance of the of the win in the final round. So now the question is, is how is the regional course going to look? Um, there is one regional being played at Seminole Legacy Golf Club in Tallahassee, if I am not if I if I remember correctly. And uh, and if I had to bet money, that's the regional I would expect UCF to be in. Uh, we'll find out for sure when the selection show airs on Golf Channel at 4 p.m. on April 27th. But uh, hopefully this can light a fire under this team, uh, under this team, though, because I, I think that uh, as long as they can use the use what happened here as, mo- as motivation to do better later, then we'll see. Back when we talked to Emily Marin, she said all, all they had to do was get to match play and they could win a national championship ch- championship. So uh, they have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, it feels like, you know, they, they got off to a good start in the fall season. As the spring came around, it's like they're still trying to put it together. But if they put it together now. Look out, and they are coming in ranked 29th in golf stat. The men, meanwhile, uh, they play. They start their turn. Their American Athletic Conference tournament, uh, or excuse me, uh, yeah, that's right. The men do start on um, tomorrow, Friday, tomorrow. So um, at the uh, uh, at the American Athletic Conference uh, Championships, which is being held in Brooksville, so not too far away. 
Yet the American Golf Twitter account actually tweeted out at 10.38 a.m. today the uh, groupings that they're going to be teeing off in. UCF is the number four seed, and they will be teeing off with Cincinnati and Memphis between 8.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. tomorrow. And as far as that one goes, um, men's golf has not exactly had the success that women's golf has as a team. Um, If I were... Um, unless they have a really good day, you never know. They could have a really good day, but I would, I would just keep an eye on Johnny Travale. He has been the standout golfer for the majority of the season. He's had a bit of a rough patch recently, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Teddy Tetak um, has, has had some, some flashes as well. So um, if I would say if we, um, we could maybe see a run for the individual title, but it really just depends on how good of a day they end up having. All right, so we'll be monitoring that uh, as well as they move into that three-day tournament. All right, um, speaking of previews, we're going to dive into tennis now, and uh, we'll start with women's tennis. They are number 18 in the country, and they are starting off the American tournament as the number one uh, seed, looking to win their third straight American Athletic Conference uh, championship. Uh, they will face, uh, as I'm looking at Championship Central, uh, South yeah, Florida. Yeah, USF again. So, and that's uh, and that's today, Thursday, April twenty first, uh, at one p.m. Eastern time. So, by the time you hear this, they'll probably be either underway or already finished out. UCF at fifteen and four on the season. The finals are Saturday um, on ESPN Plus. But uh, you know, this time they're out, they're not out in Orlando, unfortunately. They're all the way out in Tulsa. So this is a this is a road trip for uh, for both tennis teams. Um, and oh, Drew, thank you for the update. The first two matches are in a weather delay. See, you should, they should have played it here in Orlando. They could have moved it on inside. Um, you know, so it looks like we're going to be a little, it might be a little bit later, but still, um, now what's the outlook right now for UCF as they head into, um, at, at, for the, as the women's tennis team heads into this, uh, this championship weekend, SMU's the two seed, by the way, 13 and eight Tulsa's the three Memphis is the four, but, uh, you know, right now. Um, you know, this is, this is a very good shot for UCF once again to, uh, get the, hang up another banner. Oh yes. I mean, the good news, the good news is at least for the early rounds, um, they, um, the team played in Tulsa back on April 10th and swept the golden hurricane. They came uh, and then they went to Tampa and they swept South Florida. So prior, um, so prior experience dictates that UCF should be fine in this opening in this opening round um they they did uh, um in that matchup against us uh, against usf this, they got this they got the sweep uh nandini sharma picked up win number 11 11 straight singles play play wins for her two away from, from second longest winning streak in program history absolutely well done there so definitely keep an eye on nandini sharma and then as, as far as the rankings go, the, they're still ranked number 18 in the ITA rankings. Marie Mattel and, and uh, Evgenia Levashova as a doubles pair climbed nine spots to number 33 in the country with Marie. And, and then as singles players, Marie has is, is, is ranked number 101 and Levashova at 106. The fact that those are your highest are your two ranked singles players and where they're playing really shows how much of a team focus that this um, that this team has that said 
uh, Levashova and Mattel as a doubles pair has absolutely been a great job this this season. But don't underplay Noel Sidanova and Jalisa Leslie and Sofia Bioli and Nandini Sharma. They've certainly done very well in the doubles rounds as well. I think that if I were to bet money, though, I would I would say the biggest thing that we're going to be worrying about is that SMU back when they played the played them earlier in the regular season. It was a four to three win, so it, it came down to the wire. So it will be very, so it will be very interesting to see how this plays out. But if it, but if this team is going to win, is going to win, at least in the later rounds, it's probably going to be very close. Yeah. Chance also to, you know, get yourself a chance to, um, you know, improve your standing for the NCAA here. I mean, as well, you want to provide, you want to do, you want to dominate as much as you can, just like they did last year. I think they didn't even lose a, lose a match last year in the tournament. Is that right, Bryce? And I can't even remember, but um, I I know that last year. They dominated it last year. They're 19th in the country right now. The ITA dropped a spot, but that's, you know, this is a good chance to really solidify things, isn't it? Oh, yes. Um, I remember I was I remember I was talking with Eric either earlier this morning or I think it was yesterday, actually, where he told me that the top 16 teams usually get to host in the first round. So if if you if the, the UCF competes well here in the American Conference, then they might be able to bump up two spots and we could potentially have USTA National Campus hosting a first and second first and second round uh, turn first and second round uh, competition in early May. So yeah. they need some help around there. Gonna need some help. Yeah, they're gonna need some help. Speaking of needing some help, the men's team. Now they come in as the five seed. They play South Florida Friday in the in the first round of the quarterfinals. SMU's the one, Memphis is the two, UCF and USF scheduled to get underway 10 a.m. Eastern time. Championship will be Sunday on ESPN Plus as well on the uh, men's side of the American. Now, here's what I think is interesting. They're also playing in Tulsa, same facility. Here's the, the thing that's interesting, boys. Despite UCF's record, which is uh, they're, they're well under 500, <clears throat> fifth in the conference, they are still 44. Fourth in the country because of the schedule that they have faced, and looking at that, you know they're, they're still moving up. Now South Florida is five, is three spots ahead of them at forty one. Tulsa's at thirty seven. Memphis is at thirty six. Uh, so and SMU's at twenty six. So if they get hot at the right time, I think I don't think there's much doubt about how talented they are. They just have a brutal schedule this year. If they can get hot. They could make a run here and really improve their uh, their standing uh, for this uh, for the NCAA's, given where their ranking is right now. Is that right? Oh yes, rank the record is very much a deception with this program. As much as having a losing record, you know, looks bad on paper, uh, with the schedule they've had, it makes sense. Um, just like the the women's tennis team, by the way, the men's team went to play Tulsa earlier this month. And they ended up coming away with the win against the Golden Hurricane four to one. So they so they 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 also had that got those reps playing at Tulsa before this. Uh, and then in their earlier match against USF, it was close. Yeah. This is a very the fact that they're rematching so soon is very interesting. And I think a very good opportunity for UCF to to redeem themselves against against USF because it did come down to the to the very end uh Trey Hildebrand and Bogdan Pavel number 36 ranked at the time uh beat number 37 ranked USF pair of Rithvik Balapali and Bruno Oliveira 
And as far as the singles play goes, because the singles play is really where they've had their biggest struggles this year. And that, and they just ended up not coming away for the win there. But Bogdan Babel, Trey Hildebrand, and Alan Rubio in his senior night performance both picked up wins there. So we just so we just need Quinn Snyder, JC Roddick, and Leighton Cronhey to try to be able to redeem themselves in singles play or the, or get the doubles point. Cooper White and Leighton Cronhey lost 6-1 against their USF doubles counterpart. So if they can pick up the win in doubles play, that could have very well made the difference as well. So last match was really, really close. And I honestly, I, I, I would say I would expect the same for this one as well. Well, this is a pretty even even matchup. You know, USF's ranked 41st in the rankings where UCF's 44th. Now, little interesting thing. UCF is the highest ranked team with a losing record. It just shows that's, you know, you, you, you play against the best, uh, the ranking systems and those that, that matter will notice. Yeah. Uh, but there's obviously, if you look at the scoring system, there's a sizable gap between uh, UCF and then number 43 FAU for Atlantic uh, almost, uh, you know, over a point and a half, which if you know, in the rankings is a big difference. So yeah, I mean, there's so a, that's a, there's a gap. huge gap. But still, I mean, that, that just shows, you know, even though they haven't won, they, they haven't laid down and died. And, and they won some important matches against tough competition. Everything is kind of like, you know, you look at the record and it's like everything is, all their goals are still right out in front of them right now. Oh, yeah. and, and They still have a lot of opportunity here. I mean, you're in the, you're in the top 45 in the ranking system. I mean, that that's pretty good. Yeah, and, and okay. considering, um, like, they get through South Florida and they face SMU, if they can knock off SMU in the second – I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but, you know, if you beat South Florida in the first round, you beat SMU in the second round, that's going to go a long way to really helping their case, Bryson. Oh, yeah, but, hey, um, e- even if the men's team ends up say things don't go the men's team's way because it's obviously happened a lot this season, um, they, they still have some solid individ- individual ranking stock. The, the duo of Trey Hildebrand and Bogdan Pavel is ranked number 28 in the country right now. Cronhay and Pavel are ranked number 42, while Trey Hildebrand is re- now ranked, is moved up to number 83 as an individual. So even if things may not go to, to it, could if things don't go the team's way this week, I think we could see a was an individual, a single, an individual in Hildebrand or a doubles pair with either Hildebrand Bavel or Cronhe Bavel get into the NCAA on that account. And can I say, Bogdan, I know we talk about like uh, Trey Hildebrand a lot and we talk and that, but Bogdan Bavel has quietly been having a really, really good season. Not only has yeah. he, not only is he part of two ranked doubles pairs, but he's also one of only two players that have a winning record in singles play this season. Do you want to know who the other one is? You got me. Alan Rubio. So yeah, um, Pavel went 10 and eight and Rubio went 11 and eight. Now, obviously there is a difference depending on if you're playing court one or court six, which is a different level of competition. Boggy has played a lot in courts two and three, while Rubio has mostly been in courts three and four, but still they've got the wins. And if UCF women's tennis has proven anything, no matter where you are, any win you can get matters and Pavel and Rubio are the only two that have gotten that have winning records in singles play so far. But again, 
A lot of that has to do with the brutal schedule, which still continues into con- into the into this conference tournament with all those teams ranked, as you said before. So I am very excited. Um, it's certainly going to be a very uh, high. I, I think it'll be some very high octane match matches, and hopefully UCF can get some redemption with uh with usf is very soon tomorrow you're gonna be very busy this weekend bryce and you got men's tent you got women's tennis hopefully today if the weather cooperates uh throughout the weekend you got men's tennis starting tomorrow throughout the weekend you got men's golf coming up this weekend so it's a bit this is your time to shine man oh yes i am very excited oh here it is um i so you so you um american tennis just tweeted uh about the a match like 43 seconds ago uh says you know the the scheduled time is thursday april 21st at 1 p.m so it's still um list so it's still listed as scheduled for 1 p.m eastern time but i think that they still have the weather delay if i'm not mistaken correct yeah yeah so wow so yeah all right um yeah all right so So we got go ahead no, uh, yeah. Um, so, all right. So, hopefully, weather cooperate. Weather cooperates, and yeah, hopefully, uh, this will be some more and I four redemption. But I mean, the brutal schedule continues for this UCF men's tennis team. But even if the they even if they don't if they don't succeed here, then I think they there will still be at least a couple of individual tennis players that could see some more postseason action. Okay. All right, Bryson Turner. It's Bryson Turner is the person you want to follow. Uh, as well as us at UCF Banneret underscore SBN for all the latest this weekend on the tennis uh, and the men's golf. All right, when we come back, baseball and softball. We'll also have some updates on track and field. Uh, and, uh, and, fo- and and update, listen, this softball team right now, they are heading, they are barreling down the stretch of what is looking like a really historic year for them. So we'll talk about that and plenty more when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Andrew Glukov, and Bryson Turner joining with you here. And a um, little bit of more transfer news we have to talk about here. Jameel Reynolds from the men's basketball team announced he's in the transfer portal. Um, you know, Jameel, um, you know, was it, it, it's it, it's a uh, bittersweet because you know he showed so much promise at the time and a really skilled offensive player, Drew, but. You know, at the end, the, the production just didn't match up. And there was a reason why UCF went into the portal and got uh, Mbake Zhang uh, last year after Jamil had shown quite a bit of promise, like we said, in, during the COVID year, his first year. Um, he just, something was missing. And uh, Jamil elects to go into the uh, transfer portal. Uh, we have no word on where he's gone yet, but... Um, but uh, he's uh, he's he's leaving the nest. So, um, how much of a how much how much does this one really hurt though? Because now UCF basically has no big men. Well, and he was he was probably going to end up being the starting center. You know, granted he's only right. six foot nine, but I mean in college he can still play center. At, yeah, at, yeah. six you ten. Play, he's a good six. You ten. can I be mean. a size of a four and still play the five. You know, in college. But you know, you look at the numbers, and he made a lot of improvements. You know, granted. You know, his points per game were down, but he also played less. You know, he didn't start. You know, there was things that he did last year or, you know, 2021 that he didn't do this year because, you know, UCF went out and got a true center. And, you know, I I think he, you know, you never want to lose 
a player that that has something positive to contribute. We talked about with with, with Jalen Robinson. You know, you know, losing guys still hurts. Uh, yeah, this one I think is a, is is rougher because he has experience in the program. He was he was aiming to start. I mean, there the you know, is he a scoring machine? No, but I mean, was he was he also a disaster? No, uh, I, he became more efficient with the ball. He didn't turn it over as much. In fact, his turnovers per game went from one point five down to zero point eight, despite a three minute per game drop. So I mean, in three minutes, you're turning the ball over you know, half as, half as much. So, I mean, that's a, that's actually a pretty good trade. So you get him on the floor more. I, I think he would have been uh, pretty efficient. You know, his, his shooting was getting a little bit better. He was just sub, sub of 50% from the field. And, you know, I, I, it's just, it's disappointing. You know, you were hoping that there were some holdovers from that, that were, uh, that could have a material impact from, from last year to, to this coming season. And, you know, outside of Darius Johnson, it's becoming like a, a bunch of young guys. I know both women's and men's programs are, are basically going through full rebuilds, but it's like no one wants to be part of a rebuild at this point, and they're using the portal to get out. Yeah. Um, we also got word that Darren Green Jr. also has tr- is, has announced he's going to Florida State hmm. as well. So that's a bit – go ahead, Bryson. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I just want to say, because I'm looking at the roster now, so here's who is left. As of right now, we have Darius Johnson, PJ Edwards, mm-hmm. Ty Freeman, and CJ Walker. Plus now, the incoming recruits. Plus the incoming plus incoming recruits. Yes. So I either the either this so either Dawkins is going to screw, skew very young for this roster, or and and maybe in addition to that, he's going to have to really hit the transfer portal again. So yeah, the the total rebuild. I think is def is definitely the what's in the cards right now. That said, though, um, if those four players are going to be the only holdovers we get from last year's roster, it's a pretty solid four players. Yeah, I think the key right there, like like Drew, you were saying, is Darius Johnson. You know, this it's is Darius Johnson now- and a pack of Skittles. Uh, <laughs> no, I, that's not fair. Well, no, no, I, that's I'm, not I, it's, fair. It's a joke. It's a joke. And and you know, you got the Henderson. The Hendersons coming in. I, I I'm really excited to see them. Uh, Hendrix twins, you mean? Yeah, Hendrix. Um, sorry, I don't know why I said Henderson. Uh, but I'm really excited to see them. You know, suit up. Uh, obviously, you know, one's a little bit better than the other from a high school stats standpoint and recruit standpoint. But I think I think uh, having them both on board is going to be a really good thing. And, and you you need someone. You need someone like you know, BJ Taylor played this role before. You need someone that could be like the selling point of the program to try to get others to, to, to get on board. And originally we thought Darren green was going to be the guy he chose that he didn't want, want to be here anymore. He wanted uh, opportunities elsewhere. That's fine. But someone's going to have to rise up and be the, the face, the guy that they can, you know, like, you know, come play with this guy. This is our guy. Uh, I, I think Darius Johnson can do it. Um, but he, at this point, you know, he's young and now he's an elder statesman in this program. Uh, it's just, it's gotten very young, very quickly yeah yeah so um i it's I, I, it's interesting like what would you do here would you would you try and aim for some guys in the i know that there's a couple rumors there's a um i know michael durr was possibly rumored about for ucf um there's a kid from uh ecu whose name i'm blanking on at the moment Suggs. Suggs, yeah from you from from ecu who might be in the mix uh we still don't know what 
go all in on the youth movement and and let these guys take their lumps or do you well, think or would you try and put together some sort of a bridge team with the portal right now i mean you need the portal um at this point there's been enough attrition yeah, wh- one way or the other you do but the question is to what extent well i think Suggs would be a great fit uh you know you know you he would be kind of you know um an older guy in a room full of very young guys. I mean, you look at last year's roster and, and who's left is the better question. Not, not, not who's returning. Uh, uh, you know, it's not who's returning. It's who's left because most are gone. You know, Perry's gone. Uh, Reynolds gone. You know, you've got Mayhang gone, which, you know, we all, we all have feelings about that. Uh, Adam's gone, you know, it's just it's it, the the list just goes you know uh, John gone you know there 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 there's there's so much attrition that happened this past that you you really have to get what you you know take what you can get you know C J Walker is one of your older guys you know um, kind of he's one of those guys who puts his head down and and gets dirty and, and you need that kind of guy but you you also need a guy who you know, can be the face you know what yeah. I mean yeah uh, you know I know Darius Perry tried to do it last year um wasn't he was good from a from a charismatic standpoint but his his play style really didn't didn't fit the rest of the team and and the, the inconsistency hurt so you're hoping that maybe this is an opportunity hitting the reset button you know you blow the cartridge you put it back in you start over and and you you change the mindset of the team to something a little more team oriented instead of maybe less iso play and and try to move the ball a little bit more instead. I still look at him and say at the, the I still look at Darius and say that the, uh, the parallels between him and BJ Taylor are frightening. Frightening how except BJ was better at finishing. I mean BJ was built like a linebacker. He was I mean, he wasn't he wasn't always though. He wasn't always when he first, but... at at this age he really wasn't. Now Darius I think is more physically gifted. I think that we're really going to see you know I mean we only have one year worth of data on Darius right now. I think that this is the – I remember that one offseason we saw BJ come in and all of a sudden you're right. He looked like a linebacker when I saw him at media day. I think His it was the sophomore year. shoulders humongous. My I, God. Oh, I thought, yeah, I'm like, geez, who brought the fullback in here? And I think that's what we're going to see from Darius Johnson too is like really bulk up and and um, and put the emphasis well, on being able to finish. The X factor too. here uh, is can he do what Taylor did playing off the bump? I mean – when he when when Taylor would, would drive inside, uh, it's I've never seen a guy at UCF to this level be able to finish after a hit. He got you know he gets fouled and he's able to continue the motion because of his strength and finish get the and one. Um, Taylor was the best I've seen do it. I mean yeah. the guy was just not only was he was he built solid but it was very compact. So, I mean he was like a battering ram. Yeah, and he was Physical. able to draw contact, which is huge because then you get the line, you get the extra shots. Uh, I mean, he just he was able to do it all. Plus, he was just a great passer as well. Yeah, that's the guy yeah. you want to see. You know, it's like Darius Johnson almost kind of reminds me of Mikey Keene in a way because they were both true freshmen that ended up getting ended up getting some time, kind of more a little bit later in the season, and and made an impact. But with now that they have an off season of development with a, a bigger role for them in mind, that could be really good for them in the law in the long run. Oh yeah, definitely. But I think that, but the difference between that though, is that, you know, Mikey Keene, we weren't planning on Mikey Keene seeing much action 
last season in his freshman year. We were planning on seeing a lot more Darius as the as the season went on because that you know he's he's the keys to the future and Darius was a senior so or Darius Perry was a senior so um, you know again that's he's going to be the straw that stirs the drink. Meanwhile, on the women's side, uh, the transfer news is rough. <laughs> uh, we have now seen uh, not only Diamond Battles, but Alicia Lewis. And Brittany Smith all announced that they are committing to uh, the University of Georgia. And Amaya Evans, who was a four-star recruit for uh, UCF, uh, also announced that uh, she is, has decommitted from UCF and will seek options elsewhere. So it's going to be a really, uh, you know, it, well, we're going to be watching a lot, a, a, a flat a lot out of rebuild. It's, flat it's out a flat-out rebuild with, for uh, for uh, Coach Satia Messer, but she gets to rebuild with the players that she wants. And, um, you know, right now she's still working on assembling her staff. We'll see what she comes up with in terms of, uh, you know, like we said, the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. So uh, we're going to see what she's able to add to uh, her roster in the coming uh, in the coming weeks. But it's still it's 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 just as a fan, it's hard to see those players all go on Moss to UGA. But um, hey, good luck to them. I mean, it's uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is going to be a very interesting because if Destiny Thomas ends up staying and so far, if I, I feel like she is, who knows, things could obviously change. But right now, Destiny could very well be a very key piece on this team because she could very well end up being into that kind of elder stateswoman leader type role for any of the young players that Coach Messer brings in and the younger players we have now. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. That's, that's that's definitely. I mean, she's the one player from the rotation who comes back with the most minutes. Although, yeah, Asia Todd had a had, had a significant amount of minutes as well. Um, but uh, yeah, we're hoping hoping to get Satya Messer on the show at some point, um, pretty soon. Still working on that. But uh, but he's a busy I, woman, I, Jeff. She's a busy she, woman. But listen, yeah, with all with all these it. roster changes, she's yeah. very busy. You're she's rebuilding an entire program. I know she doesn't have time for us. Uh, so. So hopefully we'll, you know, when she gets, uh, you know, it, but it'll come to pass. It'll come to pass. All right. Let's talk softball. Your UCF Knights continue to roll 15 in the RPI, Bryson Turner. And coming off of uh, last week, you know, they they knock off ECU in three straight. Uh, this team has won six, seven, eight in a row since they lost to uh, Virginia Tech. But um you know, now they now they face another test at Houston and uh, on the road. And this is their they're coming down to these last nine games in the conference schedule at Houston, home for Tulsa at Wichita State. Um, but uh, and all these all three of their games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday will be on ESPN plus. But, you know, we're looking at the rankings here, Bryson. This is the question that I had is what tier of the top ranking softball teams is UCF in right now because you know at the very top Oklahoma is having just an incredible year they're they're 39 and one um I think they're all alone at the top you have Florida Florida State at five and six UCF kind of hanging out at 15 you know you have a lot of the usual suspects out there Tennessee Clemson Oklahoma State Arizona State Texas Duke uh UCLA Virginia Tech who UCF lost to um Alabama is at number two if you were to separate out, say, the top 25, what, what tier would you put UCF at right now? Well, let's see. So I think the biggest indicators of, the, of, of that 
is looking at their matchups against the highest ranked teams they face, which has been Florida and Virginia Tech. So they haven't beaten Florida and they've beaten Virginia Tech once. So and, and so I would say that UCF is probably in a it, I, I'm gonna be conservative and say that Virgi- that Virginia Tech, no, yeah, Virginia Tech and Florida, I think, are obviously like in a weather, depending on what ranking list method you use, they're S tier, A tier, whatever, whichever, mm-hmm. whichever one you view is the highest. Um, but and that but you and UCF, I think, is probably going to be in that second tier right behind them. I would put Florida a little higher than Virginia Tech just a little bit just a little bit but I think that both Florida and Virginia Tech deserve to be a part of that eight-tiered thing UCF though is the is the tier right below them B B tier A tier depending on your system um and that's not bad I mean again given how like how much of a softball powers those programs are the fact that UCF is right there and competing with them is very very well done on on their part and i think there's they're definitely a threat to be an upset especially if they can hopefully nail down a chance to host but we'll see but we'll see about that eric um, i'm talking with eric he's guessing that it it's probably going to be a trip to gainesville for the regionals so we'll see it'll be different from last season hey at least it's not fsu like last time still no no this team is no i'm sorry this team is good enough to host and they should be hosting okay especially if they roll through houston and wichita who wichita right now is in second place in the american at seven and two houston's third place seven four and one if ucf rolls through these last nine games and rolls through the american conference championship this team should be hosting Okay, there's no two ways about that. I, I, I just and the and and I like Eric. You know, I'm pessimistic about this. the The committee's going to find a way to screw this up again. You know, I mean, I mean go ahead, Drew. It's it's the Florida bias because you already have two schools from Florida that are going to host. Gainesville's going to host Tallahassee. Why can't you have a third? And uh, well, you know, you see in baseball, Coral Gables would always be the third one, right? Um. But, you know, Orlando being kind of in the middle, you know, they kind of just like, oh, it's just Orlando, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're so close to Gainesville. We're just going to send them there. And so they get sacrificed to the number five instead of being, you know, usually the top 16 should host. You know, they should just make it very clear. You're a top 16, you host. UCF being 15th right now should be in line. Uh, no, you're absolutely right to be annoyed at this. It's, it's, this has happened multiple times over the years where, you know, in baseball and stuff where, where UCF should have hosted and got hosed as the number two at some other Florida location, and they lose because, you know, that Florida, uh, whatever, it was Miami or Florida, were just, you know, were a better team, and they and they, they won it. They lost the chance to play in their home field when they earned it during the season. I mean, that's what it comes down You If you earn it during the season, you should have it in the postseason. It shouldn't be figured out in a boardroom. It's the same co- concept we have in college football. Postseason should not be figured out in a boardroom. It should be pretty clear. You're top 16, you host, period. Yeah. I mean, this is where the, you know, I mean, the RPI comes in, does can come in handy, but, you know, UCF right now hovering at 15. What happens if they drop? Go ahead, Bryson. Uh, I just wanted to go ahead and give a quick shout out because to a, to a couple of a couple of players. Kama Woodall, uh, she f- facing her former school ECU, 
pitched eight total innings on this on the series and only allowed one hit and one run, two walks, and struck out eight. So well done for Woodall against her former program. And also uh, Jada Cody record watch. She got another RBI for the weekend. She now sits at 57 on the season. That is nine away from Stephanie Bet from Stephanie Best's season record. That's just an update on that. Good stuff. All right. Now, over the other side, baseball, um, um, they are in a slide right now. Got swept by ECU in three straight at home. Looks a like bad ECU, slide. Looks like looks like ECU's back, by the way. Um, just just for just in case anyone was wondering. Uh, and then at home, got beat nine to two by Jacksonville on Tuesday night. And now that, and no rest for the weary as the Knights now have to go out to uh, Wichita State for three. Um, no TV for these games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, out in windy Wichita, Kansas. Um, Bryson, what in the world is happening? Well, uh, <laughs> what, what isn't happening, Jeff? Because um, there's so the thing, they're, Hunter, they're five Hunter, and four in the conference, right? Uh, just real quick, I want to get that. Five and four in the conference in fifth place. Only two games out of first, but boy, does that two games feel big. Oh, yeah. Feels so, like a mile. Uh, so... Uh, okay, where do I begin with this? Okay, let's go ahead. So let's go ahead and just get the the two big things out of the way. I think so. Hunter Patterson is hurt again. He um he ended up exiting with uh, exiting with a, a looks like a forearm injury. That's uh, scary. Coach, uh, That's Coach, really scary. Coach Lovelady said that it was a similar description to what he had before, though. So either he reaggravated it. Or he he just reheard it again. Either way, not a very good sign on, at the pitching department. Then after the Jacksonville game, I got official word, uh, or I got word from Love Lady, and he said that Love Lady had what he calls a broken hand, and he is now out for the quote unquote foreseeable well, future. That who, is who does Who's Alex that? Freeland. Alex Freeland. Okay, so that's another big offensive bat. That is now gone for the long term with Nick Romano. So, oh man! So it's like um, it hurts, love, man. Look, Bail I, it in. I, like I, I will. I strongly recommend anyone that is, anyone that has you know that wants a, a state of what UCF baseball is in right now to go watch the post game interview with Coach Lovelady after the Jacksonville game on the black and gold banner at YouTube channel. Be sure to like and subscribe to those videos and turn the notifications on so you get up-to-date uh, information on, on the newest press conferences we post on there. But in that press conference, Lovelady just sounded defeated. I mean, he really he really did. He talked about how the team was badly coached, so it seems like he's, he certainly feels a level of responsibility for this and both for both that game and the ECU series where the series started out fine. UCF was up six to two in the third inning of game one. But after that, for the rest of the series, it was just a downward spiral for the, for this team. And a lot of it ended up coming off of unearned runs too. I, I did a, a, um, a comparison. It was like, I think 30 something to eight runs with the counting the unearned runs, but the earned runs, it was just 14 to eight for yeah. the, it was. So ECU still would have won the series in terms of runs, but when you don't count the, they got some help a lot they closer got, than you thought. Yeah. They got, they got some, you know, I mean, UCF kind of helped them out there. The, the part that about Freeland that hurts is, yeah, this is a guy who's third on the team in OPS at 991. 
you know, nine homers, seven doubles. He was a, you know, he, uh, you know, 20, drew 25 walks. Um, this guy was just getting on base constantly. And, um, yeah, this hurts. This just really, really hurts. And, uh, it stinks when you see a guy having a season like this and, uh, and to see him go down, um, you know, for the, like you said, for the foreseeable future, who knows how long that's going to be, but this, this, this hurts. I mean, the other thing is, you know, with the pitching, you know, now what, you you, you're worried, obviously you're worried about, you know, Hunter Pattison. We don't know if he's, you know, how long he's going to stay out. Connor Stain, as great as he's been, has been a little bit on the fragile end. Uh, he has um, a we um so uh, he has he um he had the back spasms he issue he had, which seemed to have flared up in the cold weather uh in the trip to Memphis, and then he also had a blister on his middle finger that is healing. But you know, blisters can be a little uh a little yeah. uh, stubborn. And and, and you know, D- David Litchfield's been struggling. Um, you know, yep. th- I think the adjustment from the bullpen to the starting rotation has been, been, been rough for him. You know, he's, uh, he's two and two right now, uh, eight starts. Um, but his ERA is over seven in 41 yeah. innings. So, I mean, it's, this is tough. The pitching well, you need your guys been... to come back. You know, your yeah. top, if you notice, it's all the top end guys that are getting hurt, you know, Freeland and Stain and, and Patterson. Uh, they're, they're, they're twice last, they're, they're, last season. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at look at Patterson and Stain with ERAs under two. I mean, you, those guys aren't playing. It's is a is a huge thing. You know, that's that's potentially two out of three weekend games that that you're losing the opportunity to have a player like that. You know, pitching for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. Um, it, it also doesn't help that the bullpen has been on the relatively inconsistent end because you you can have performances where Ben Vespi came out in the ECU series in game one. Yes, it was game one where he faced six batters and allowed four hits and five runs. Then in his very next appearance against Jacksonville, granted different opponents, but still um, he went, he started the game and went two innings, allowed no hits, one walk, one strikeout. And Love Lady mentioned that he did a, that he did a good job pitching in that game like this this bullpen has been very inconsistent and it didn't help that coming into this season they lost Nolan Lepkowski Nick Vieira and Zach Bennett to long-term injuries injuries once again are just absolutely killing this team and now because of how young and because of how young this team is I mean, um, he, Lovely has talked about how they need he needs the team to play for nine innings, and it's like it seems that the team itself is getting demoralized by the not by you know so their, their team a lot so many of their teammates going down, and then of course once they're down in the game by so much, it's like it's they're kind of I don't know I want I don't want to call it giving up. I think it's just getting very demoralized, and I think that after so long because we were talking about how good this team was pre-pandemic but ever since the pandemic happened it seems like this team has has had some kind of injury or illness issue because there was actually a flu outbreak during the east carolina series where chase centala was sent home early before the sunday game from what what lovely said i mean like what hasn't this baseball team gone through and it's it's so unfortunate because like nick romano i mean love lady like has sung the praises of this guy in the off season, but he's never gotten the chance to play because he keeps, because he's gotten these catastrophic injuries. It's like, I mean, it's, um, it's so unfortunate because I think this team does have the talent, but 
man, they've just been going through so much that, you know, you just can't see it. It's well, like, I oh. had the opportunity years and years ago when I was uh, doing terrestrial radio to, to sit down and interview Charlie Manuel. And, and he was, and we were talking about, and, and baseball is a game of numbers and momentum. And, you know, you, you look at a guy like, like Vespi, who still pitching under a 2.5 ERA, which is, which is good for a whole, but it's a momentum thing. You know, you, you hit a bump against ECU and it just falls apart. But you, you, you hit a groove against Jacksonville and it just flows. Uh, so, I mean, that's why, you know, one game a season does not make. Unfortunately, in college, one season, unfortunately, does make your season. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's really it, – it comes down to, you know, it's the big mo. You know, you hit a bump early, it, it could derail you the rest of the way. Well, here's the thing. Not a better time to play the worst team in the American right now, which is Wichita State who's uh, 13 and 24 and two and seven in the conference. Granted, you're out on the road, but if you can snag two out of at least two out of three here, Bryson, you know, maybe that writes the ship, right? Well, uh, I, I would say as a, now this, as a whole, Wichita state is had, does have one of the lower stat lines in the American. However, they are going to have to face Cameron by who has the lowest ERA in the country. So and you're and you're also going to be facing Jace Kaminska, who is certainly no slouch in terms of the American. And then you and then also you have uh, they also I believe have one batter a uh, one batter in the top ten batting averages in the in the American. The name escapes me at the moment, but there's a couple of individual players to work with here. But I think the I I would say a good. A, 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 it would still be a really good series a, a series if they just won the series and went two and one because well, yeah. that game because that game against Cameron by is going to be very hard I mean and hopefully Connor Stain is healthy for this and it's not cold in Wichita that the, the night that they or the game the day that they pitch because I think a matchup between Connor Stain and Cameron by should both team both pitchers pitch at their best could be a very interesting matchup to behold well, they're okay. gonna have to. They're gonna have to hurry up because, like in this in this schedule, look, you got uh, two lanes coming got, out right after that. Yeah, look, you got you, it's home for Tulane at South Florida at Houston, home for Cincinnati, and looking at the schedule, Tulane second place, Cincinnati third place, tied with him, Houston fourth place, tied with UCF one game back of Cincinnati and Tulane. So the remainder of your schedule outside of South Florida is all teams that are ahead of you in the schedule, which means if you win them, you can pull yourself back up you know, into, into the upper part of the standings. If you don't though, you know, it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty tough, go ahead, Drew. Oh, I was just commenting that they, uh, that they, they need to get, you know, that ship right fast. Cause it doesn't get easy. Yeah. You now know, or never. USF may not be high in the standings, but they're not a bad team. Uh, they're, they're two and seven is a little deceptive. It's not like Memphis or, or Wichita state, which just aren't good teams. Even Cincinnati, six and three in the conference, they have a losing record. They're 16 and 19 on the year. So, you know, while we're starting to see the, the standings kind of mature and develop, there's still some outliers. You know, USF's better than the record. Cincinnati, not as good as their conference record. Uh, UCF kind of, and Houston are kind of the middle of that. Uh, so, but they, they don't have a chance to rest. You know, they have those midweek games too. You know, you got, you got uh, North Florida uh, after that two-lane series. And then you have uh, a midweek game in Coral Gables against Miami, uh, you know, number two Miami. 
So, I mean, it's not like you're going to have a midweek break there uh, to, to really, you know, kind of get the bugs out. You're, you're turning from one series that's, you know, against a decent team like USF against, and then you have to play against Miami before going to Houston. I mean, that's a long road trip, you know, yeah, that's seven after that two straight, lane series, eight straight on the road, eight yeah, straight on the road. And granted you get the last four at home, but still that, that wears you out. Yeah. And, ele- and, and in total guys, 11 of their next 14 on the road. That's rough. Oof. Go ahead, Bryson. Last word. So um, that one batter I was talking about, I just checked. Um, it's Chuck Ingram who has the second most home runs this season in the, um, in the American. Taking so, advantage uh, of that Wichita wind. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, the, like you said, this is the, the chance that the team needs to right the ship. But I think the biggest thing is that I think we could potentially be in for a similar situation the last season where this team w- goes through the ringer in the regular season to potentially finish around the 500 mark. And then you go into the conference tournament and you're going to have to get hot at the right time because last season, that's what happened. UCF got hot at the right time and managed to make their way to the conference championship as about a mid as about a mid C team. And it looks like that's the direction we probably uh, could up when we look at this optimistically, that's the direction we're going to have to see this team go into. So now is the time where, where coach Lovelady needs to write this ship. So that way, once you get to the conference championship or conference tournament, you are in position to get that run. Will everybody be healthy for that? Who knows? Hope at yeah. the very least you hope Connor Stain is, but who knows? Uh, who knows? This is really this is really about getting yourself in prime position for the conference tournament in Clearwater. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Someone's got to step up. You know, there's only so much the coaches can. I tell, I try to tell everyone this all the time. There's only so much the coaches can do. At some point, it it rests with the players to kind of, you know, look at each other in the eye and say, hey we got to figure this out. It's really on us. You know, the coaches have delivered us everything that we possibly need. We need to, we are the ones who need to get it done. So last word, we'll go to track and field. we got another American athletic conference track athlete of the week, Bryson Turner, Latasha Smith, uh, who very quietly, I think has put together a, a really remarkable season. Everyone loves to talk about Renia Jones, rightfully so, but Latasha Smith, once again, 400 meters, uh, 52.01, set a new UCF record uh, and is now eighth on the NCAA outdoor list uh, for the 400 meters. She's going to go to the NCAA championships uh, once again. She's uh, What a season for her so far. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, um, yeah, I mean, people talk about Renaya Jones, but Latasha Smith has absolutely been dominated the 400 meters. Like it's, it's in her Twitter handle, by the way. Did you know that 400 M is actually in her Twitter handle? That's how big (laughs) she is on this, uh, on this event. She took the indoor 400 meter record back and during the indoor season, she now takes the out. She now has broken the outdoor 400 meter record. And I think the huge thing is, is that, it was the is that the previous record was set by UCF Athletics Hall of Famer and former Olympian Athea Charles, mm-hmm. as she she set the she set a fifty two point four nine time in May twenty thirteen. Latasha Smith broke it this weekend with a fifty two point oh one time in in Gainesville, and the absolutely 
well done on well done for Latasha. She now owns both 400 meter records. And then of course she was also part of the four by 400 meter relay team with Danielle Best, Kia Williams, and Samira Bradwell. They finished third in their, in, in their event, but they broke the four by 400 meter record that was set back in 2015. So Latasha Smith, a part of breaking two, two school records this week, absolutely well done for her. Also well done for Natalia Madison and Kalia Jones, who both podiums in the high jump, Natalia Madison setting a new personal best for herself in the process. So the high, so we have some pretty solid stuff going on with the high jump. And then of course your Renaya Jones update, she finished, um, she set a new season best in the 100 meter hurdles with a 12.99 time, which got her into sixth place. She talked about how she wanted to get under 13 back at the night's invite area. That uh, counts. And now, <laughs> and now, sorry. And now she has done, done that. She also competed in the 100 meter dash. She ended up finishing in seventh with an 11.32 time, which is three hundredths of a second off of her personal best. So more progress. So more progress from from Renaya Jones. We still have a few more, a couple of events to go before the AAC championship. And this week, it's going to be a divide and conquer strategy for the uh, for the team there some of the team is going to be up in charlottesville virginia for the virginia challenge on april 22nd to the 23rd but on the 23rd the rest of the team is going to be in baton rouge for the lsu alumni gold so it'll be very interesting to see to see how the uh, to see um the progress and because now that now the team's going to be split up for this week and this week so that'll be interesting goal is run fast jump high jump far finish first that's yes. always the goal. And yes, uh, last last little bit, we wanted to uh, pass out some congratulations to the Varsity Four in rowing. Kennedy Keith, Amberly Hotham, uh, Rachel Dunford, Claire Kaminsky, and Avery Bethel uh, with a win over Miami this past week in 745.3. They were named the Americans Varsity uh, uh, or Boat of the Week in rowing. So congrats to them. Rowing, by the way. Uh, they're up in uh, North Carolina for the Lake Wheeler Invite up in Raleigh, facing the likes of Duke, North Carolina this coming weekend. They have one more event after that before the American Championships on May the 15th. So, that's uh, you are all caught up. How about that? Not too bad, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, make sure you check out my nightcap. We'll try to get that up soon on the black and gold banner at dot com. And of, and of course, there'll be links there so you can see the full results for the for the matchup against Miami. The, um, Miami winning four out of five against them. Good job rowing. And um, of course, the full result, the full results and links to the full results for all of the events that occurred over the past week. And of course, the, the action continues today in Tulsa with tennis. Yep, so, tennis, uh, golf, busy weekend for you. We're going to have a, a big nightcap at the end of this weekend, too, for you, Bryson. Oh, yes. Get the I, coffee ready. I am very excited. I am very excited. I love covering covering the covering these, and it'll be very interesting to see how it all, how, the culmination of everything. All right. All right. So thanks again to you. Thanks again to Drew sticking around for us throughout this whole segment and throughout the whole show, filling in for Eric. Appreciate you, bud. That's how I roll. Stat boy Drew on Twitter is who you want to follow along with. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can also follow Kyle Nash. We thank him for uh, his uh, for his insights on football in the first segment um, at uh, uh, VSOTG. Also follow us on YouTube. Look for Black and Gold Banneret on YouTube and subscribe to us there for all the latest post game reaction. 
to uh, all uh, for every sport at UCF. Bryson does such a good job getting that, especially for baseball. So that's been a lot of fun. And of course, Eric for softball. But hey, once again, uh, thanks to you, the listener, for uh, following along with us. Make sure you follow us collectively at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. That's UCF Banneret underscore SBN. We thank you for subscribing to our podcast. If you don't yet, no problem. We're on Apple and Android devices. Just search for Black and Gold Banneret wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, as well as the mothership, Black and Gold part of SB Nation. So for Kyle Nash, for Andrew Bukov, for Bryson Turner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy this busy weekend. Prayers up for Bryce, who's going to be busy with everything going on. We thank you again. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.